Welcome to the Three Questions Podcast. We take questions from our church family, do our best to answer them from a biblical worldview. We all have the privilege to serve the Lord's Church here locally at Southern Hills Baptist Church. Doug Melton is our lead pastor. Randy Whittall is our pastor of missions and evangelism. My name is Daniel Snow. I get to be pastor to young adults. If this podcast is useful to you, always know you can subscribe, you can rate, you can share. Uh, we really do want it to be for God's glory and for the help of others. And so uh, you can turn in questions to this podcast three different ways. There's an email address. It's three questions podcast at myshbc.com with the number three in three questions. Uh, you can go to the website, myshbc.com slash contact, or you can text 505-258-2076. And all questions will be kept anonymous. And guys, we are have finished out Thanksgiving 2020 and moving towards Christmas. But just out of curiosity, as everything is different, uh, what was Thanksgiving like for you guys? Well, for my family, it was it was tremendous. We uh, first time in over a year that we got to see some of our grandkids, and we had all thirteen nice. of them, and the girls and their husbands. So we, all 21 of us, uh, went up to Branson and stayed in a house together for a week. And, uh, and we all still love each other. So it was a great week. <laughs> that, that is I, a major accomplishment. Thankful, yes. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. And boy, we had a wonderful Thanksgiving. It was really different in the sense of, uh, very small. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, uh, one of, uh, one of our sons, we were able to just get together with, with one son and his wife and kids. And so there were only seven of us. And so that was just, it's very different. Yeah. But, uh, sure thankful for being able to have that one that yeah. we were able to get together with. Absolutely. We, uh, we were on quarantine due to an exposure issue. And so it was best for us not to be with grandparents and stuff. So it was the, only Thanksgiving we've ever had with just our family of five. And uh, we still did eat fried turkey, so that's important. <laughs> and uh, But honestly, we had a really fun and, and actually really good conversation around the table. It was, it was good. So, um, okay, so first question. It goes to Doug, and the question is, is it wrong to alter your physical appearance to be more appealing to others, and are there boundaries? You know, this morning I altered my physical appearance, and my wife was thankful when I left the house. Uh, I my, would, I would second Lana's yeah, I think motion. Most on that. of the staff was was thankful. Amen. Um, Amen. <laughs> when I when I get out of bed, my hair—it's just—it's amazing to me how parts of it can end up in different. Yeah, side, a whole different side of the head. It's not yeah. how you went to bed. No, no, not at all. Uh, and you know, and we also got to consider things like uh, when I was uh, an adolescent, my folks had me. We got I got braces mm -hmm. that altered my physical appearance. There are men and women who who use some form of of makeup, you know, uh, sometimes to cover pockmarks or whatever. Uh, that is an altering of the physical appearance. Okay, so we, I, I, th I think we've got to really look at how Scripture would would answer that question. Uh, let's look at how Christ approached things. And so from Scripture, I think there's always an emphasis on the intent of the heart. Uh, 
what what is the intent of the heart mm-hmm. in doing that? Um, yeah. There there are actual times when I I think that uh, it. it some type of procedure could actually help a person be less self-conscious. Mm. Uh, uh, there, there are things that, that can be done that, that helps a person who feels like I, I'm always thinking about the way I look or always that uh, might help them in being less self-conscious. So, instead of more. Instead of more self-conscious. Yeah. That's right. So what's, what's the intent of the heart there? Um, I, I I would also go to the script the fact that the scripture is always going to put an emphasis on inner beauty over external beauty. Mm-hmm. Uh, First Peter chapter three. Uh, don't let the outward adornment. Don't let that be the focus or or the emphasis. And that's for men and women. Uh, focus instead much more. Let let the uh, the desire. For inner beauty far exceed what I'm trying to do on the outside. Um, I, I would say along with that is what I'm doing is this for the glory of God. Um, I, I, I think we need to be careful about um, that. Am I am I trying to uh, line up with what the world says is beautiful mm-hmm. uh, rather than the way God made me? And uh, and and not rebelling against the very way God made me, uh, I, I think we we have to be careful about the fact also that this is a culturally conditioned aspect. That there are some cultures yeah. where, as a part of the culture, physical uh, adjustments are made in that culture. Mm-hmm. And and so I I would I would hesitate. I would I would not want to go to a place where I would say, "Oh, that was wrong for them to do mm-hmm. that. That was a part of that cultural that conditioning." Now, that being said, we have to be very careful in our American culture again of trying to uh conform to what others would say, "Well, that's beautiful." Uh and and so let, let me let me then to try to end the question, end the answer. Let's go to one more aspect, and that would be the issue of: Am I trying to turn beauty into an idol? Uh, my appearance. Am I putting that before uh, my relationship with the Lord? And so we have to be careful about mm-hmm. not making external beauty uh, an idol. And so finally, let's let's end with First Samuel sixteen, where. Uh, the Lord says, God does not look at the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. And, and so I, I think we always need to land back there. Um, if if there is something that you feel like needs to be done that would make you less conscious of yourself to where you could get your mind off of yourself and more on the things of God, then I would not say that would be wrong. Mm. Uh, and for example, um, so many children wear braces, and right. and um, I, I think for a lot of parents, they're trying to help that child be less self conscious. Right. Uh, and and so I think that's the direction that we need to head is to where a child can be less self conscious. Um, 
that I'm focusing, helping myself and others focus in on inner beauty rather than external beauty. Yeah. And even that, it seems like even, even that example of braces, that's a cultural thing for us. I mean, there's other cultures where if our kids grew up there, that just wouldn't even be an issue. Right. And that's okay is what I'm saying. Right. And so much of what we think of when we talk about altering our, our physical appearance is only something that's available to us at this point in history, you mm-hmm. know, uh, surgeries and, and things that, uh, that were not even possible, you know, maybe yeah. to our parents or grandparents. Right. And so, but I think, uh, I think Doug hit the, the point you hit on about making physical appearance an idol, mm. a point where it becomes your, I guess I should say, your uh, dependence on your looks to define who you are rather than letting the Lord define who you are. That becomes dangerous because, you know, you will never reach a point where you will think, okay, now I'm I'm right, I look just like I think I should look. Yeah. Uh, you know, there will always be something else, something more that you, that society or culture or whatever will think you can do to make yourself beautiful in their eyes. The most important thing is, how do I feel? How does God look at me? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and if I find peace and I find contentment with my relationship with the Lord, just like I am, then that's that's the beauty that you should, we should seek. It's good. And and you know, let me let me add one more thing because. In the scripture, God does put the emphasis on inner beauty, but we also need to marry with that the thought God does also care about our physical bodies. He made me. Mm-hmm. He knitted me together in my mother's womb. And and so I, I need to understand God made me. Mm-hmm. And and let's start there. Body and, and soul. Body and soul. He cares about my body. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so... Um, Physical exercise is a way of we alter our physical appearance mm-hmm. through physical exercise. And you remember the scripture calls us to spiritual exercise is even more important than physical exercise. Don't let physical exercise become an idol in our life. That's good. Really good. Okay. Uh, next question is for, for me, and it is, uh, is taking a human life always wrong? Uh, this is this is heavy, and I want to be real c- careful with it. And uh, I, let me just say off the front that obviously the question, I think the assumption here is horizontal, human to human. Uh, but just for clarity, we should also acknowledge as far as the vertical uh, before God, it's never wrong for God to take a human life. He is the He's the maker. And so he also, he has our days numbered. It's absolutely within his rights. Um, But I know the question here is, is dealing horizontally human to human. The biblical answer to this is probably uh, too conservative for liberal Christians and too liberal for conservative Christians. Uh, but that's probably right about the place we should expect to find the instructions of God. And I also want to admit that then on a couple of these points, um, I'm going to give you where I come from uh, and land on this, but I also acknowledge there are very real Christians 
who would not see it the exact same way. And I think that's permissible. Um, but the short answer is taking a human life always wrong. The short answer I think would be no. Um, but then the, the, the question becomes, well, why, um, very clearly we know that murder is forbidden by God as sin. Very clearly, Exodus twenty thirteen, uh, one of the what we call the Ten Commandments, uh, just says exactly that: "Thou shall not murder." Um, talking there about premeditated, out of anger or self advancement, um, not talking about accidental, uh, what we would call manslaughter. Um, it's the ultimate murder is the ultimate attack on the image of God in another human being. And that's, that's what we have to keep in mind here is the image of God in every person. That's, that's the big deal here. Jesus takes it even further to our attitude of hateful thoughts towards someone counting as a type of mental murder in Matthew 5, 21, 22 in the eyes of God, even though obviously it's not physical murder before society. Okay. But then what about capital punishment? Um, capital punishment, in other words, execution of a murderer, is given by God to governing authorities as the proper response to murder in Genesis 9-6. In fact, uh, in that verse, we see God's clarity um, about it because he he says right there, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So again, we're back to the image of God here. And, and, so, um, and so due to, uh, it's, it's not due to a low view of humanity or a throwaway view of humanity, but exactly the opposite. It's due to a very high view of human beings, each bearing the image of God, and this is the proper response for government for murderers who have already acted in a throwaway attitude by their actions. Um, Romans 13, I think, uh, seems to carry that principle over even to the New Testament as the proper uh, as the proper authority for governing authorities and justice systems, um, when in Romans thirteen, when it says that um, it says how that that government is not um, it does not bear the sword in vain, and uh, then we get into issues of warfare. Clearly, there were times that God commanded Old Testament Israel to engage in warfare in which there would be the taking of human lives. Now, Old Testament Israel was in a unique position in all of human history as the chosen people of God who were a nation state. Like That's very unique. That's, that's for them alone, and, and even specifically, I, I would say, in the Old Covenant alone. Um, that's not the, that's not the way it is for the New Testament church. We're not a nation state, but Old Testament Israel was, and as a nation state, they operated as a theocracy, like God directly ruling as the king of that nation state. 
Um, and there were times he called them into that kind of warfare. So that raises the question, are there times when other nations in history, our own or others, are justified to engage in warfare in which there will be the taking of human life? And I believe yes, um, based on what's called the just war theory, and we don't have time to go through that whole thing, but but you can look it up. Um, to take a life that's intent on taking the life of another, to take the life of someone who's intent on taking the life of another or others or yourself um, is justified in the defense of others or self. If it's a life-saving mission, um, Romans 13, 4 again is where it says that government does not bear the sword in vain. I think especially in a nation where it's extended uh, those self-defense rights to the individual. Um, in those situations, we act as agents of the state in a self-defense scenario. Um, and Luke twenty-two thirty-six is where Jesus tells his disciples um, as, as they're going to be being sent out um, that if they don't have a sword to sell their cloak and buy a sword, um, I, I, I tend to believe he really meant a sword, um, there and not that they were to go on a crusade. Um, that's not it at all, but, but for the means of, of simple self-defense, um, we see that self-defense requires wisdom in Exodus 22, two and three, um, this is pretty interesting. It says that if a thief is found, this is in the, in, in the law system, the civil law system uh, for Old Testament Israel, which gives us a lot of clues about kind of the heart of God. It says if a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if, if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. In other words, if a homeowner is attacked in the night, um, by a thief and they get into a fight and the thief ends up losing his life. The homeowner is not to be found guilty of murder. Uh, however, it's in, if it's in the daylight, then that's a different issue. Uh, in other words, lethal force, lethal force is not to be, it's to be used sparingly. It's to be used with wisdom, um, as a last resort, um, seems to be the implications in a lot of that. Jesus does forbid retaliation when he tells us to turn the other cheek in Matthew 5. So that tells us the defense of others or self should never be a matter of retaliation. Um, it never should be like a mercenary justice. Um, not that at all, but, but purely the defense of human life. This is loving your neighbor as yourself. And unfortunately, in some extreme cases, it may involve the taking of a human life. Uh, it may also require me to put myself in harm's way and show the ultimate love of laying down my life for a friend or even an enemy. Um, one, one commentator, Charlie Trim, put it this way, peace is the presence of justice, not the absence of conflict, because the latter can be imposed unjustly as well as justly. I mean, you think of the mafia, you think of tyrannical dictators. Um, there may be a la an absence of conflict, but that doesn't mean that there is peace. 
Um, but this all points to the supreme peace that Jesus came to bring to all who would believe on him. The Bible tells us the Lord himself is a warrior in Exodus 15.3. And Jesus came and laid down his life to level a death blow to the serpent of the garden, Satan. Um, So with great remorse and possibly even tears, we may be called upon to take a human life in order to honor the image of God in defending human life or prosecuting a murderer. But we should never be casual or flippant or arrogant about such a heavy matter. Each person is bearing the image of God. Um, and it's we, we cannot be casual about that. That's good. That's good. I, I think that especially, I think about that as that applies also not just to self-defense or war, but even part of we as Christians' view about taking the life of the unborn and yeah. abortion. And clearly that can't fit right. into these parameters. That's exactly right. Or euthanasia at right. the end of life. Mm-hmm. That doesn't fit here. That's right. Yeah. I mean, there's no denying the biblical value God puts on life mm-hmm. uh, and the joy that God finds in creating life and the yeah. glory he receives from a life that's lived well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he does that value he puts on life sometimes puts a life against a life. Like you said, someone intent on taking another life may forfeit his own. Yeah, that's really good. Okay. And uh, Randy, question for you today is, we are having a discussion at work and someone was researching the story of Esther. Did the events in Esther actually take place or is it just a fictional story of hope in Jewish tradition? Well, of course, you know, as Christians, the story's in the Bible, and we believe that the Bible is historically, scientifically, and everything the Bible says accurate and true. Mm-hmm. So we do, just simply because of our high view of Scripture, believe that the story of Esther is indeed a real story, just like we believe Job was a real man, Daniel was a real prophet, mm-hmm. uh, he really sat in a den of lions and things like that. And so we take those not just as uh, some sort of allegory, but we do truly believe that that these are historical events. Mm-hmm. And there's good evidence for that. Now, I realize there are historians and, and those who find fault with the book of Esther, but most of the fault they find are what I believe to be uh, arguments that 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 themselves have some element of error. Like uh, one of the arguments against the historicity of of the Book of Esther is that the the book doesn't actually cite other historical events, which would mm-hmm. corroborate its timing in in history. And and while, yeah, I mean, if if there were other events, you know, that uh, that you could pin it to, yeah. that would be nice. But the absence of that doesn't mean the story itself isn't true. Uh, you know, no more than in any book written in the forties that wasn't, didn't specifically mention Hitler. Yeah. Wouldn't mean that Hitler never was a real person or that the, the war didn't happen just because you don't comment about it. Yeah. Good point. And so it's sort of an ad hominem type of an argument that, uh, that is built on, on 
the lack of evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, you also have arguments that say, well, uh, you know, it's it's documented that the Persian kings would ne- a Persian king would never marry a Jew. Well, at the time, according to the book, Ahasuerus or Xerxes didn't know she was mm-hmm. a Jew. That came yeah. m- m- much later. Uh, but we do have other evidence. Herodotus, who was a Greek uh, a Greek historian and actually sometimes called the father of history, uh, but you know, he, he, for him, we know all about the Battle of the Three Hundred. You know, the Battle of Thermopylae and yeah. and uh, Leonidas and the Spartans and all that. He's he's the guy who who records so much of of Greek history, and he lived during the period of the of the of the Peloponnesian Wars and all of that. He records that Xerxes. Uh, is well known for having a, you know, for for like and wine women. I mean, you can read mm-hmm. all of this on mm-hmm. on Wikipedia if you want uh, uh, about Herodotus uh, and stuff like that. The name Ahasuerus is the Persian word, the Persian name for Xerxes. It's, yeah. it's a, of course, it's adapted. It's not a Hebrew word, and so. You know, if you don't, if you were making up a Hebrew story, you'd give your king a Hebrew name, but they mm-hmm. didn't. They used a a Persian uh, name for him, uh, and and the dates all match up. As a matter of fact, you know, one great argument is either Herodotus may have read Esther, or or uh, the the writer of Esther had read Herodotus, because there's even. It even talks about how Xerxes, after losing the the naval battle of Salamis uh, in the Peloponnesian Wars, that he went home and found comfort in his harem in the tenth month of the seventh year of his reign. Well, Esther chapter two specifically says that he took Esther as a queen in the tenth month of the seventh year wow. of his reign. So you've got some that. historical uh, factors that do corroborate that. But uh, to me, again, as a Christian, I always want to be careful when science, when uh, anything like archaeology wants to contradict the Bible Mm -hmm. and recognizing that science and archaeology change every day. If you ever read Discover Magazine, if you... Uh, if you read uh, anything from National Geographic, you know, every month they come out with some new discovery that seems to disprove something that we read three years mm-hmm. ago in the same magazine. The Bible doesn't change. Yeah, The Bible has been constant for thousands of years, and uh, and the more science advances, the more it corroborates the, the truths of Scripture. And so, yes, Esther was a, a real person. Uh, Xerxes was a real king. There's even some writings that claim that Xerxes had a counselor in in Persian. They call him Marduka, hmm. which would seem seem to match with Mordecai. Uh, yeah. you know who, who becomes <laughs> yeah. a counselor to Xerxes. Hmm. So um, the then critical thing is be wary of anything that tries to get you to doubt the veracity of Scripture. You can trust the Bible. Uh, it is it is true in everything that it states. It has no error in it, and and the lessons that we learn from the Book of Esther are just invaluable. You know, God's control over all things, yeah. and maybe in the Book of Esther more so than anywhere, we see how God truly has a personal plan and purpose for each life. That none of us is where we are when we're here by accident. That's good. God places us. God plans for us. God has purpose for us, and we ultimately find our greatest fulfillment in life in 
in yielding to God's purposes and and living out our life in a, in the way God leads leads us to the greatest joys and the greatest blessings to those around us. That's good. That's really good. Awesome. Okay. Well, guys, always thanks. It's so good to talk these things through. Jeremy, thanks for producing this podcast. Jeremy Johnson. And for you guys listening, thanks for making time. Remember, the God of the Bible is never surprised or offended by our honest questions.